welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. In this episode today, I'm going to be interviewing the theologian Stephen Backhouse, who's the director of Theology at 10 Theology. Uh, we're going to be exploring conspiracy theories and truth and wisdom and how do we discern wisely the things that we are hearing uh, either in the newspapers, in the news, in the media. And it seems to me at this time it has been possible for many uh, sane people to consume some very insane stuff and we as Christians need to be really good at being able to wisely listen to different voices and discern what is actually the truth. And Stephen just helps us think through a little bit about how we can do that. We've been prime during the corona lockdown as we've been isolated to actually not be surrounded by a community uh, to speak into our lives. And sometimes that isolation has bred a space where fake news or things that are just not true or truthful to have taken root in our thinking. And so that's what we're going to be exploring today. Now, Stephen, he is a theological lecturer and teacher. He's been a guest lecturer for the Institute of Religion, Peace and Justice. He's been the Dean of Theology in the local church at the Westminster Theological Centre. He has taught at St. Melitus, uh, lots and lots of places. He's a very gifted communicator, so I was desperate to see what he had to say on this particular topic. So friends, I hope you find this helpful. It's a slightly longer episode than usual, but quite important one for us to explore together. Conspiracy theories, fake news, and how do we as Christians engage with these things? Stephen Backhouse, welcome back to Making Disciples. I'm so pleased uh, we can spend uh, a little bit of time together, particularly today talking about conspiracy theories and a, and a biblical response uh, to mm. fake news. Uh, how have you coped with uh, lockdown? We're kind of now in September. How have you found the last six months? Uh, it's been a roller coaster. I feel like I myself have had some times where I actually felt what I would call an anxiety attack or maybe even a panic attack where I was really feeling constriction in my chest and my heart was pounding and I had to just press pause and everything and go for a long walk. You know, I, I live out in the countryside, so I was fortunate. I was able to walk up to the top of a hill. Um, I actually sought out some professional counseling to help me deal with. So I, I definitely felt some anxiety in it, but, and I realized that it wasn't so much for my personal safety. It was more that I was absorbing the anxiety that was swilling around out there. I just, I just, everybody I talked to, everybody, everything I read on the internet or was always about doom and horrors and fear. And, um, and a lot of it was real. Like it wasn't like it was fake, fake fear. It was kind of like, no, this is actually mm. you know, that the businesses really are shut down and uh, people I know really are getting a mysterious illness. And it wasn't a fake thing. It was a real thing. And then, uh, and then watching, uh, different, different groups that I'm associated with. I, I watch people almost like in real time, lose their tiny minds and yeah. you could watch people kind of go insane. <laughs> Yeah. you know, um, stuck in their homes and just, yeah. so I just felt a lot of kind of anxiety swilling around. So that's been yeah. part of my story. And then the other part is that I've actually appreciated the big 
pause button that was pressed on the on the world. And I have I have to say I've actually not hated the fact that my busy life was just stopped overnight and that I had to I was forced to sit in my backyard and look at my apple tree. <laughs> and I was forced to just be still and not spend lots of money every day on coffees and you know I wasn't there was part of me that thought okay I'm not earning any money and that's an anxiety but I'm also not caught in the hamster wheel running around and around and around and going nowhere and that's also very interesting thing to be <laughs> yeah and, and this this feeling that and it wasn't just you that felt that and I think I love what you yeah. just said my anxiety wasn't in my worry about corona my anxiety uh, over the last six months has purely come from what i've been reading and seeing online yeah. uh, people's facebook feeds uh, youtube videos and I, you know youtube is a bit i love youtube during lockdown there's things i found that i'd never found before and absolutely adore uh found some new youtubers that i've never watched and then there's other stuff that was more fear-mongering yeah, this is what I'd love to talk about because our anxieties in the last six months seem to have opened some people up to greater worries. Uh, you know, and the phrase that we would use for some of this stuff is paranoia. Some of it is conspiracy theories. Some of it is yeah. fake news. And, yeah. and roughly, what I'd love to talk to you today about is around how do we discern as Christians wisely what is godly and good and wholesome and true. Uh, but I'd love to just have this conversation around conspiracies. Hmm. And we have seen our Facebook feeds full of things. Uh, that Some of them are very gentle conspiracies. Some are great conspiracies. Uh, yeah. How have you found it the last six months around some of that stuff? Uh, so on a very, on a personal note, over lockdown, I had a, I'm a, I'm a traveling theologian. So I most of my work involves traveling to churches to speak in churches so obviously during lockdown that just fell off completely like i lost all of my income generation just stopped right except one little job and i was working as a, a kind of a consultant for a company and it wasn't a christian it wasn't a christian organization but there were christians who were running it and they had hired me to be like their theological consultant to help them think christianly about the business they were doing and this was the only source of income i had and the head of this organization, she got totally swept up in uh, conspiracy theories. Um, corona, uh, you know, Bill Gates invented coronavirus in order to shame Donald Trump. And uh, he's part of a baby eating elite, you know, just all of that stuff. Uh, 5G is the, is the cause of coronavirus symptoms and it's all a conspiracy to control our minds. And so my boss, my only source of income that was all she talked about. And she would have morning meetings, staff meetings on Zoom, and she would just talk at us for an hour every morning about these things. And I had to quit. So I, and, and precisely for that reason, I just said, look, my job is to be a, a counselor to you and a theological insight into what you're doing. And what you're doing is completely insane and anti-Christ. Mm -hmm. And I can't do this anymore. You can't, I can't do the job you're paying me to do. Um, and I quit. So from a personal point of view, I've actually <laughs> been affected and, you know, we can talk about what happened later as a result of that, but so that is a personal thing. But then I've also noticed, you know, just all my friends or, or acquaintances, really just the Facebook stuff and just the ramping up of these kind of theories and, and fearful, 
ecosystems of information that are just being swilled around and people just living inside the little bubble. Um, people I used to respect fully going for it and, and having to just uh, essentially cut them out of my life. Like not in a kind of a negative, hateful way, but just in like, no, you, you can't speak into my life right now. I've got, I've got real things to worry about. I can't be also engaging with this kind of punching at shadows, tilting at windmills kind of thing. So yeah, that, that means not that means not reading Facebook, uh, un, uh, maybe not unfriending, but just unfollowing people. You know, it does mean that. Yeah, so it's, it has affected my personal relationships and my income. Yeah. yeah, and conspiracy theorists, people who believe some of this stuff, all walks of life. Why is it? Do you think some Christians have really been caught up with some of this? Uh, I mean, what you've just been describing, the QAnon phenomenon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, being Christians, being swept up by this, um, you know, it does fall within a Christian framework, this understanding of, of Satan and sin and out there is, a, is an evil presence that is at work. Uh, so some of this stuff falls within a Christian framework. But why is it you think Christians do get caught up and start believing some of this? Stuff? Well, some. All right. So I think. Some Christians are primed for it. They're ready to go. Like, so they're set up for this. So it isn't that um, if you believe in Satan, you absolutely will believe in a conspiracy theory. Hmm. Uh, let's, let's make uh, be sort of clear. There's, there's alternative realities or alternative facts, and, which you could maybe refer to as like an information ecosystem. So if you think about like, you know, all the, all the information you read, the voices that you trust, um, the data that you, you allow into your life and then the, the implications you make of that, that would be a, an ecosystem. So like what social media are you listening to? What newspapers do you think are trustworthy? What television news do you follow? Um, that would be what we'd call an ecosystem. And, uh, and what we've found over the years is that, um, Christians now, especially, I'm not trying to be anti-American here. I'm not like just making a, some sort of racist point. But it's, it's definitely part of the American evangelical and charismatic culture that we're seeing coming into the UK and other places, which is that the American Christian world was, is very uh, isolated and fear-based. They're very individualistic in the sense that the world is out to get us. The liberals hate us. The world hates you. Um, and I grew up as a North American uh, fundamental or conservative evangelical. Like I grew up in the, in a school system, which taught me, um, that we were going to get raptured, like sucked out of the sky that taught me six day creation that taught me that liberals were evil. Right. So I was part of a world that I grew up with this stuff. Right. And, um, a lot of the same voices that you're seeing now in America that are very, very uh, loudly pro conspiracy theory or pro Donald Trump and, and, anti-democrats and anti-liberals those are the same voices that were that i was grown up with right and if that culture is very much about we need to create an alternative culture because the secular culture hates us and that's where you've got a really high culture of like we have our own musicians we have our own tv stations we have our own printing presses we have our own school system and that would be a they created an information ecosystem spectacularly successful you can be a mega celebrity with thousands and thousands of people cheering for you in the stadium and you can 
you can buy private jets, <laughs> right? And never leave the Christian information ecosystem. So in a way, the vehicle or the, the structure was set up. It, it was ready to go. So Christians coming out of America are, are ready to go to have all their information produced, consumed, and um, transmitted without ever leave, without ever being challenged, without ever having to touch any other world views, okay? So that's partly what we're seeing, and it is very successful, and we're seeing the products of it. And, and I'm an observer of this culture. I, this is what I do as an academic and as a teacher. I'm an observer of American evangelicals, and I watched it happen is that when, during coronavirus, I was, because you, we knew that the spread of it, right? We knew that it you know, started, started in China, and then we started to see it like Italy. If you remember, Italy was the first major Western country to have it. And, and then it would sort of move, and then the UK got it, right? And Spain. When it, it wasn't until it hit North America or America, that was when we saw an absolute just the conspiracy theories took off. The conspiracy theories were not happening amongst my Christian friends in Europe and in the UK. And it wasn't until it reached American evangelicals that this took off. And I saw that as, yeah, this is what, this is what I, I could predict was going to happen, right? Is that the alternative information system kicked in and there was a, a very high distrust of uh, science, very high distrust of authorities, a high distrust of universities is an anti-intellectualism or an alternative intellectualism. So they don't trust any um, intellectual or, or scientific advice that doesn't come from within that subculture. And, you know, you could see it happening. And so I think this is in some ways, this culture was ready to go. And then it exported those conspiracy theories were incubated within the evangelical world. And then they spread back to Europe. And I, and, I, and I could observe that happening. It was almost like you could put pins on a map and you could see it happening. Like you were tracking the spread of a virus, ironically. Um, so that was happening. And then all the voices that were being spoken of, it doesn't take all these voices that are speaking these conspiracy theories, doesn't take much to link it back to American uh, charismatics or American evangelicals. So that would be one thing. But then you get the... So that's alternative facts, but then you get conspiracy theories, which is related, but slightly different because the conspiracy theory is that there are a group of people who are running the show. So an alternative fact just says, oh, we just don't believe your experts. We believe our experts. But the conspiracy comes in when you say, and there is a group of elites who are deliberately running the world, or they deliberately designed this, or they're deliberately hiding facts from you. And that's when we get into conspiracies. And I think, again, the, the Christians are primed for that because they uh, certainly, you know, if you're coming from the more conservative end or certainly the American end, you're, cr you're primed for thinking of things like the Antichrist or Satan or the beast. And there's a whole generations of Christians who have been brought up expecting and waiting for some evil mastermind who's going to pull all the strings and press all the buttons, you know, and, uh, and so it's not that hard for them to then find that. Yeah. And, but we've seen it all the time. It's, you know, there's always been, in the culture I grew up in, the Antichrist was um, a supercomputer that was in Belgium. Um, then it was Pierre Trudeau, the Canadian prime minister, because his license plate had 666. Um, it's been Saddam Hussein. It's been the Pope. Um, like, 
the the antichrist has been a lot of different people in even in my lifetime and i'm only 44 and i can i can rattle off about five antichrists right so it's always something and it's never really the case so, so i just i'm aware that this is what you happens. didn't even mention obama obama's the antichrist yeah um so it's it's always it's always some leader that evangelicals don't like Right. That's always, that's basically it. It's just always, if the evangelical American culture doesn't like it, then that becomes the antichrist. Um, so, you know, and you just see it happening now. It's just happening again. Um, so in some ways it's, it's, it's more of the same. It's just because of social media and lockdown, it's just like a little hot house. So it's like, we've, we've added to our conspiracy theories that we've always had. We've now added growth hormones and one of the things that I noticed was um, the, uh, a number of folk around me who really thought this was the end of the world. You know, the kind of yeah. phrases that they were using was this is kind of the end of the world kind of stuff. You know, Jesus is returning soon. Uh, and and I, I said, well, unfortunately, I, this may well be the end of the world. But I think it's more like it's the end of your world because this is the first yeah. traumatic, large traumatic event that you've had in your life. Yeah. Having been somebody that's visited... Um, Africa, I went to the Ebola treatment center and saw the effects of Ebola. Uh, yeah. Having been to Lebanon and visited the refugee camps from those from Syria in, in, yeah. uh, in Lebanon. I, having seen what a lot of people have to live with on a day-to-day -day level, yeah. it is not the end of the world. No, wearing a bit of cloth on your face when you go to Tesco's is not the end of the world. No. Yeah. But for some of us who've never experienced anything, yeah. It feels like the end of the world. And I think for me, I'm so grateful for the opportunities I've had to travel and see things and experience things. I went, I certainly when I went to Liberia and visited the Ebola treatment centers, how do you even articulate some of the... Uh, what they went through was atrocious. I mean, there's, there's no words to express how disturbing mm. Ebola was. What we've mm. gone through... For, for some of us, it's been a mild irritation. Now, we've had a few people of our church that did have a, a corona, were in hospital, and actually were very, very, very poorly. Mm -hmm. uh, and unfortunately, uh, a lot of that stuff was, was hidden. Uh, people didn't see what was happening in the hospitals. So I, I even hear people say now, oh, you know, is, was corona even real? Was it a mm -hmm. hoax? Mm -hmm. So what I'd love to just ask you is, how does the Bible help us with this? And how do we as Christians discern wisely uh, how we respond uh, to those who have uh, these interesting uh, worldviews? Mm. Well, I want to say there is a difference between being intelligent and being educated. So, so we live in a world which sometimes we hear if somebody says you aren't educated, that that's like me being insulting you. Mm. But that's not true. So, I think a lot of our conspiracy theories, like let's take the flat earth one, for example. I see this as, a, as an example of an intelligent person who is uneducated. So they're almost too intelligent. They're almost too good at making connections. Human beings make connections between disparate information points. That's what we do. We're storytelling creatures. We tell stories. We're given a, a load of random data and we tell stories out of it. We make, an, we make something of it. And what you see with a lot of these conspiracy theories is that it's almost like people are too good at making connections, but they're untrained. So it's, I, I was thinking about this a little bit like if you saw a, 
let's say you you saw a, a young girl and she was really good at like kicking a football you'd be like wow you've got natural talent you're really good so what we want to do is we want to get you in a program to teach you how to play football right do we want to harness that talent we want to help you discipline it we want to help you train it we want to help you know what to do so you're not just kicking a ball against a wall you're actually part of a team you have a purpose you know how to pace yourself right so this is what I think with when it comes to intellect and education, that there's a lot of people with kind of wild natural talent, but they haven't, that's not the same as being channeled into how to discern good from bad data, how to tell good from bad stories, how to judge the quality of your sources, how to assess agendas and what that might look like, that there might be agendas behind some of the data coming. And somebody like me who spent you know, some time being educated. That doesn't mean I'm more intelligent than others. It means that I have made it one of my life's work to look at the assessment of information. That's what I do. Just like plumber has made it his life work to figure out how water flows well through a house. Or <laughs> a vicar has made it her life's work how to run a church well without people fighting each other. I could never be a plumber. I could never be a vicar. But I can help people assess data. <laughs> right? So you know, I, I do see a lot of that. And, and I think the thing with the Bible and with Christianity is that we live in a world which we kind of assume that because we all have a Bible for our own, that we're all equally valid at reading it. So we assume that you don't need education to read this Bible. All you need is your own opinion and that you could draw all the connections yourself. And that if you draw connections, if you just randomly open the book of Revelation and find something about the beast, and then you randomly open a newspaper and you see something about Bill Gates, that you've now made a connection. And your connection is equally as valid as somebody like me who has literally spent two decades t learning this stuff. Mm. This is partly where this is coming from. It's like a distrust of education. And what I want to say is like, the Bible is a complicated book. It's not, it's not impossible to understand, but it helps to have somebody who's bothered to study it. It wasn't written in English. None of it was ever written in English. None of it was ever written by any human being who even knew that North America existed, that knew that Britain existed, right? The most they maybe heard of was somebody in Spain. <laughs> when the Bible was written, Spain was as far in exotic a country as they could imagine. So this is an alien culture to us in lots of ways. And what it needs is an educated person to help us uh, figure out like, what did it feel like? And what did it mean for the people who wrote these words to hear them for the first time? And there you need, you need education in, in history. You need education in literature, original languages. And when you do that, it's really good. There's some great stuff in there. And one of the great things you get is that in the New Testament, in the Bible, the end of the world is not the end of the world. You talked about meeting Liberians for whom it was the end of their world. In, especially in the New Testament, like when Jesus talks about the end of the world, so in Mark 13 and 14, he talks about the end of the world. And in this famous book of Revelation, it's all about the end. Now, modern day uneducated people, not unintelligent, but uneducated people will think, oh, the end of the world means the end of existence. But if you go back and you sort of bother to actually pay attention to what did the earliest people who wrote those words think that it meant? What it actually means is 
the end of an era. It's that every generation is coming to an end and there's always a new one waiting in the wings. And you'll notice that when in the New Testament, it talks about the end of the world, that what they actually are meaning is the end of this current era. Your current age has come to an end and a new age is coming. And all of the end of the world language in the Bible is always also accompanied with language about the beginning of something new. So Jesus will say, this is like, this current generation is like a woman in pain at childbirth. And it's the end of her world in some ways, but when she gives birth, it's the beginning of a new life as well. So her old life as a non-mother is over and her new life as a mother is about to begin and a new life is here, right? And Jesus said, that's what the end, that's what the end of the world is like. The old has come, the old is gone, the new has come. And so a lot of this stuff is like, if you look at that, when you look at our world, every generation always has some sort of end. Yeah. And Jesus wasn't saying, watch out, the end of the world is coming and you're all going to burn in hell. It's, it's really literally, watch out. When you think that the end of the world is coming, don't fear. Don't be afraid because something new is coming. And something new is always coming. And so the earliest Christians, they read this end of the world stuff with hope. Mm. They saw it as gospel, as good news. Whereas now today, because we're, for various reasons, you know, we read this stuff as, as fearful, as if it's the end of everything. And uh, so I, I feel like let somebody who's bothered to pay attention to, the, to these texts mm. help you guide them through these texts. There's some really good stuff in there, you know. But it's not the end of the world. It's the beginning of a new one. Mm. Yeah. Which is partly why I said, you know, when I, when I, I, the coronavirus definitely ended one part of my world. Yeah. But I'm not totally destroyed by it. I'm like, all right, what new thing is going to come in its place then? Because Jesus said, don't fear. Mm. When you, when you hear about wars and rumors of wars, when you, when it looks like the, the moon is turning to blood, when it looks like, you know, the sky is falling, don't fear. You know, so that's what I'm doing. So, what do you do if, um, so say, I'm watching a lot of YouTube and I yeah. stumble across this sermon over here that sounds really good, love it. I stumble across this sermon over here, this sounds great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you start to listen to this, so you start to realize that it's 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 Christianity, but slightly turned up. The volume's just slightly turned up. It's yeah. got some edge to it uh, that. Uh, isn't what you were hearing in your local church. Uh, what, you know, how do you help somebody? What would be your wisdom to help somebody in discerning what they are consuming and listening to? And some of it is understanding the ecosystem of which that material is coming from. Yeah. Well, all right, again, we can use the New Testament itself to help us here. Because Jesus... Now, this idea of like fearfully um groups of people huddled together fearfully scared of the outside world is not a new invention this was happening to jesus people within the new testament and what was happening jesus is then saying to them and the earliest christians who wrote the new testament the earliest founders of the church what they're basically saying to these people is look to the fruits of the spirit the fruits of the spirit are your guide to truth um, it's not 
military success. It's not financial success. It's not if people have lots of uh, followers. It's not people who run empires or large organizations. Like your measure of truth is not those things. Mm. It's can you see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, hospitality, right? Mm. Against these things, there's no law. And this was the measure. Or Jesus says the Beatitudes. He's like, um, are you merciful? Are you a peacemaker? Right? Do you mourn with those who are mourning? Are you humble? Are you like a child? The, the measure of goodness is very clear in the New Testament. And what I often see when I'm around people who set themselves up as Christian preachers, because anybody can set themselves up as a Christian preacher, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Anybody can have a YouTube and open up the Bible and start preaching. That doesn't mean anything. So what you have to look at is, um, are they focused on the way of Jesus? Are they focused on fostering love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, gentleness? You know, these are the measures of our goodness, of our truth. And uh, it is not that hard for me to look at various YouTube preachers and see that what they're actually focused on. In fact, you'd be interested, it's worth paying attention to how little Jesus even gets a look in. Mm. Self-proclaimed Christian preachers can talk for hours and they will talk all about, you know, the, the liberals and the Zionists and the end of the world and the mm. Democrats and Donald Trump and coronavirus. They'll talk about everything except Jesus. <laughs> and that's a clue. That's a clue. Are they really paying attention? And then if they do talk about Jesus, are they talking about the way of Jesus that we find in the Gospels? Are we talking about the guy that laid down his life for his friends? Are we talking about the one who said, consider others better than yourselves? Are we talking about the one who says, do not fear, for I am with you? Are we talking about the one who submits to violence rather than wage violence against his enemies, right? Um, if they're not talking about that, then they're not actually talking about Jesus. And it doesn't matter if they call themselves a Christian. They're not Christian. Mm. So that's one of my measures is that you use Jesus, the life of Jesus and his way and the fruits of his life as your measure, even against or especially against people who call themselves Christians. Like that's when the conversation starts mm. for me. It's not, that's not when it ends. If somebody says, I'm a Christian, I don't go, all right, okay, I'll believe everything you say. I go, all right, okay. So now you're using the holy name of Jesus Christ. So now the, be the measure is high now. So I'm going to measure you. You said you're a Christian, so I'm going to now judge you against the way of Christ because you've invited that into, you've, you've asked me now <laughs> to measure you against Jesus Christ. So, so my solution to some of these people is just go read the Gospels yourself. Um, Jesus, it's not rocket science. You know, what Jesus looks, sounds like, and feels like to be around is, it's not a mystery. Yeah. And beware of people who claim that they have the secret knowledge or the secret mystery. And then only they, this is what a lot of conspiracy theories are based on. It's that, you know, only if the people are in the know or if you've been taking the red pill and all that stuff, you know, only then will you know the truth. Yeah. And that the thing about the Gospels is that um, it's, it's not a secret. Um, they don't, they're not trading in secrets at all. They, they just tell you plainly what's going on. Mm. And uh, that's kind of part of the point. So one of the things I would say about, about this is that it doesn't mean you have to stop believing in evil. Now, 
I do believe in evil, that humans are evil, and that there is even, a, you know, forces of evil in the world. Um, it's just that they're not hidden. <laughs> and the weird thing about conspiracy theories, I find, is that they overcomplicate something. So they go, like, the, the, uh, the QAnon is a really classic example of this. So it, it totally presses your buttons because it's all about child abuse. It's about... It's about really horrific evils being done to helpless children at the hands of elites, okay? That's what QAnon is all about. And then Donald Trump is meant to be the secret savior who's embedded himself with the elites, and eventually he's going to release, he's going to reveal all the, the evildoers, and he's going to release the children. This is the conspiracy theory. It's a pro-Trump conspiracy theory, which literally demonizes uh, left-wingers and Democrats. It says that Democrats are are devil-worshipping baby eaters. I mean, you can't get much worse than that, okay? The problem about all this is that it, it actually it uses the emotions that you feel when you, when, you, when you rightly are horrified by child abuse. It, manip it actually abuses those emotions. I think QAnon is exploiting the suffering of children in order to make a political point because there really are children that are being exploited. And they really are problems, but QAnon isn't dealing with any of them. It's making up a fake child exploitation ring, which is run by Hillary Clinton and all this other nonsense, at the expense of actually pouring any energy at all into the real problems that we're facing. And, uh, and you'll notice that anybody who's actually spent their life with with dealing with child exploitation, you know, go and look at NGOs, go and look at IJM, International Justice Mission, look at Tear Fund, look at Compassion, look at various organizations. They have nothing to do with QAnon because <laughs> they're doing the real work. And in fact, they, they're so fed up with these groups because these groups are diverting resources and attention and energy away from real, mm. dealing with the real evil, which is actually there for the sake of a fake evil, which they've invented. And, and so, you know, this is what I would say from the Bible. It's like, you're not, we're not asking you to, to ignore the fact that there's real human suffering in the world and that there's real evil in the world. Yeah. We're just saying it's not secret. It's right there. Like child exploitation happens because of the, the, the clothes that we wear, because your iPhones that you buy. Like there's actual real exploitation happening to real human beings. And the solution to those is to fix things like our spending habits and to increase governmental oversight. You know, there's some actual solutions to these problems. Yeah. Uh, and and, and it were, to, to me, that this whole conspiracy theory just diverts attention. And in fact, it creates people who make the, the real problems even worse. Yeah. Even worse. I think that's really helpful. I think... Um, <sighs> On Facebook, I, you know, I come across Christians all over the country who've been watching stuff, seeing stuff. And I think one of the things that I keep saying is, uh, go back to your local church. What does your local church think about this? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's easy to consume from out there and then demonize your local church because they don't get it. Yes. Actually, if, if the national church, if, if a church in every neighborhood uh, is not on the same page as where you've got yourself to by consuming things on YouTube, mm. just ask questions of yourself. And yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 
I just think it's really sad that uh, people, uh, there are those who've come to distrust their local church because of some things they've been watching online. That is the work mm. of number one. Uh, yeah. You pull apart, you know, pull apart. And very clearly where yeah. there's unity, I command a blessing. Yeah. This kind of thinking has, has, uh, has uh, created an environment where there is disunity. Uh, so, you know, go back to your local church. What does your local church think? And I think what you just said there about Tier Fund and uh, some of the other NGOs, if these large organizations that have been doing ministry and work in the name mm. of Jesus for years mm. are saying, don't listen to this stuff, yeah. then really that is the wisdom uh, to listen to. Yeah. Uh, so thank you so much for that. We've run out of time completely. Um, but I just think it's such an interesting conversation to have around how do we discern the truth and wisdom as, as Christians. Thank you so much for sharing uh, just some of your thoughts on this stuff. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate it. It's great to get your take uh, oh, on how we as Christians engage with it. Because you, know, you could almost just walk away and say, well, you're a crazy person. Get out of my life. Um, and the, the last thing I'd probably say is this. Uh, I'm going to interview a member of my youth group from years ago. Mm. Uh, has now got a PhD in conspiracy theories. No way. Wow. And he, uh, what he did as a part of his PhD was that he entered fully into the conspiracy theorist world. He yeah. went to all of the conferences and he then came out to write his thesis on this stuff. And his wisdom on uh, how to engage with somebody who's losing their mind on something Interesting. is yeah. um, do, uh, you can't argue against them. He says the only thing you can do is love yeah. them. Yeah, right. Which love them, I, love them, love them. Which, which is, is exactly what he said about Jesus. Right. I mean, being right is not one of the fruits of the spirit. Winning an argument is not one of the fruits of the spirit. You know, this is not where our battleground is. <laughs> so. so as an example, you know, I've got somebody uh, who's within my world who, you know, really believes the world is flat. Yeah. I've chosen not to uh, argue. I've chosen to love them. Yeah. And one of the things I think that I've come to realize is isolation breeds fear. Yes. Yes. And it's in that fearful place that we believe things that we shouldn't necessarily believe. But when we're in unity and relationship uh, and love, where there isn't fear, then actually some of these strange theories uh, actually start to just fall away. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's you know, love, 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 love. Let's create relationship. Let's refine relationship and community post lockdown. Yeah. And let's, uh, let's the antidote to this stuff be love, which is what you're saying, fruit of the spirit, uh, love and peace with people. Stephen, thank you so much. Where can people listen to your podcast? Yeah, I do a podcast. We talk about this stuff, actually. It's called Tent Theology. If you go to Tent Theology, you'll find it wherever you find podcasts, you can find the Tent Theology podcast. And we talk about Tent Theology is the, is the organization I run, which is brings theology into local churches or networks. And we have a podcast in which we discuss politics and life and information and all these things. And I'll have to get your PhD conspiracy theory on there. That would be very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll hook you up. I'll hook you up. Stephen, thank you so much. Bless you. Thank yeah. you. I really appreciate you. God bless. Go well, Chris. Bye.